So any of y'all ever get hustled? Any of y'all ever get hustled? What do I mean by hustled? You can raise your hands. There's no shame. There's no shame in Jesus. <laughs> by hustled, I mean someone took advantage of you. You know, someone got the best of you. You know, in New York, we know there's hustlers everywhere, right? There's hustlers every block. There's hustlers. You know, they're playing three-card Monty in Times Square. Some guy's trying to sell you his mixtape. You guys ever experienced that in the park? I had some friends. I had some friends who were international students. So they're not from here, right? So they were telling me how they went to visit Times Square. Some guy was offering to draw a caricature of them, you know, those cartoons that make you look funny, for $5. And they're like, yeah, we'll sit for that. They sat for $5. He drew the picture. As soon as he was done, he popped it in the frame, dropped it in the bag. The frame was $20. The frame was $20. He was like, all right, that's $25. And they gave it to him. I was like, how could you just walk away? They're like, no. He took the time to draw the picture. They didn't know. They're not from New York. You know, many of us, we grow up in a big city. We know how to avoid the scammers, right? We know. We see them. We'll cross the street. We've been around the block enough. But have we ever thought... Maybe we're getting hustled spiritually. Maybe the guy, just because he's in front of a pulpit and not in a subway, maybe what he's saying isn't always legit. You know, we're going to continue in Luke's gospel today. Jesus has been baptized. Last week, Johnny gave a great message about how Jesus is the, uh, the new son of God, the new Adam. Uh, let's get started. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you have been so gracious to us. We thank you that you've been so gracious for these number of years that we have gathered as the Church of Zion. Lord, we pray that your presence would be made known to us today. We pray that your voice would be louder than mine and that your spirit would convict stronger than anything that I can joke about or, or say this morning. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's open our Bibles, or you can grab that piece of paper that we give out. I think Pastor Johnny called it a service sheet. If you need one, the ushers will hook you up online. Grab your Bibles. We are going to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 today. It says, I'm reading from the ESV. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, 
and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, this passage is dark. It's very dark. Last week, we saw this beautiful scene where the Trinity comes together. Jesus is getting baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. God the Father says from heaven, you are my son, is amazing image. And now we're in the wilderness with the devil. And the wilderness is as dark as you can imagine. Other passages have uh, demons taking refuge in the wilderness. There's bears, mosquitoes, you know, my mortal enemies. It's a dark place and it's separated from society. And then all of a sudden, this person appears that we have not yet seen in Luke's gospel. This is his first presence. And um, Luke just nonchalantly says Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. In Greek, it's uh, diabolos, which means the slanderer. He's the slanderer. What does slander mean? Slander means like it's someone who lies to defame someone. So if I'm like, yo, you know, so-and-so's doing drugs and he's not, uh, that's a slander. That's slander. So this is who's here uh, with Jesus in the wilderness. And that's going to lead us to our first point, which is the devil is real and he is a liar. See, the tricky thing when we read passages like that is that there's no introduction of the devil, who we also call Satan. Satan uh, just means the enemy, the enemy of God, the adversary. There's no genealogy. You know, last week we went through the genealogy of Jesus. There's no genealogy for Satan. So the things that we know are kind of cobbled together from different passages in the different books in our collection that we call the Bible. But Satan actually appears very, very early on in human history. Very early on, if you've ever read the book of Genesis, or even the first few chapters of Genesis, you know that in the garden where Adam and Eve were, there was a being presenting himself as a serpent, and his goal was to deceive the first humans, and he does. He successfully undercuts even Adam's trust in God. And now... He's back again, and he's trying to undercut the Son of God's relationship with God the Father. See, Satanology, it's a word. It's a real word. I did not make that up. You know the word theology means the study of God. Greek theos is God. So there's a word called Satanology. And Satanology is so underdeveloped and so undertaught in a lot of Christian circles that many of us, we either don't believe he exists, we think he exists but has no power. The Barna Group, which is a research group, uh, did a survey. They found that 40% of self-professed Christians believe that Satan in the scriptures was just a representation of evil. Like he's not a real person. But Jesus 
as well as the apostles, as well as first century Jews, all knew and spoke of Satan as a real being and a real threat against God's people and against God's kingdom. Give you some examples. In the Gospel of John, it records Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. He's rebuking religious leaders who don't believe in him. And he's like, you are of the father, the devil. And he expounds upon that. Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus said he's a liar. He's a father of lies. When Jesus teaches his followers to pray, he teaches his disciples to pray. If you guys have ever read the Lord's Prayer at the end, it says, lead us not into temptation. This is how Jesus teaches them to pray. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. That word that we have, evil, can be translated as deliver us from the evil one. When Jesus prays for his followers before he's crucified, in his high priestly prayer, he says, protect my followers from the evil one. Jesus can be praying for anything, and he knows it's important that his followers are protected from Satan. See, most Jesus does not talk about the devil as a metaphor. The apostles never talk about the devil as a representation of evil, but as a real being with real power that comes against God's people. But most of us walk around not really thinking about that. We don't think that there might be lies being told to us deliberately and intentionally to draw us away from God. We are the tourists in Times Square. We are the ones walking around thinking everyone's our friend. We're giving the Showtime guys money. That's who we are. We're so lost because we don't realize there's someone out there who's going to lie to us, who's going to scam us. See, Eve was naive. She didn't realize that this serpent that was talking to her, she didn't realize she was engaging in conversation with the father of lies. And oftentimes, we don't either. See, we don't, we don't think about him. One of the things I struggle with with my kids is teaching, so my son is three. I struggle with teaching him that there's evil in the world, that there's bad guys, because I, I don't want to scare him. Right? I don't want to make him nervous. He's going through enough developmentally, and I don't want to tell him, hey, there's people out there that hurt other people. So like in the books that he has, like Peppa Pig, the police officers, they, they help kids know how to ride a bike safely. <laughs> like that's that's, the, most, that's the, the highest responsibility of a cop. So it's bike safety. He, he doesn't know <laughs> what they do. He doesn't know what a soldier does. He doesn't know that there's war. And it terrifies me because if he doesn't know, then how is he going to protect himself when he goes to school, when he's away from me? When a stranger is coming saying like, hey, you want some candy? You want to get in my car? How is he going to know that that person's not to be trusted and that there are people out there that you should not listen to? So let's come back to the passage. Let's come back to the passage 
and see what we can learn about this devil. So in the passage, Satan is tempting Jesus. Uh, the word we have translated as tempt is often also translated as to test, like uh, when the Pharisees are testing Jesus, they're throwing out these trick questions to try to trap him into blasphemy. It's that test, like you find a rock, you have to test it to see if it's a diamond. So Satan is tempting Jesus, but in a sense, he's also testing Jesus to see if he's going to be that son of God that he supposedly is. So in the first temptation, Jesus is hungry. He's hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days. He hasn't eaten. He's hungry. And Satan comes in kind of out of nowhere and says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. See, Satan's zeroing in on a physical weakness that Jesus has. He sees, oh man, Jesus is hungry. Let me, let me give him a suggestion. And it sounds like a good suggestion, right? Why not? He's hungry. He has the power to do it. Why not? Make pumpernickel, make some bagels, make some sourdough. I hear that's hard to make. He can create whatever his heart desires. But if he would do that, if Jesus would do that, one, he'd be misusing his powers for his own purposes, for his own needs. He'd be providing for himself as if God would not provide for him. And his powers would be focused on satisfying what he wants to eat instead of on the mission of God, the mission that he has been sent for. See, often Satan will come when we're weak, and he'll give us suggestions that sound good, that sound reasonable, that sound justifiable. I'm tired. You know, I've been at work all day. My boss is on my back. I don't want to deal with my wife. I don't want to deal with my husband right now. I don't want to love them like Christ loved the church. I'm tired. I'm stressed. I don't want to do the dishes. I don't want to help out. See, Satan will slide in. I've been up with the baby all night. Why do I have to hold my tongue? What about me? I'm lonely. I've been single for a long time. Now I want to marry someone in the church, but they're not responding. God's not providing. I should go hit up that girl, hit up that guy. I got to take care of my own needs. See, Satan is like a fox. And he targets that sheep that's away from the herd, that sheep that's away from the shepherd, that sheep that's lost spiritually. He's been praying. God hasn't given him answers. Hey, there's that psychic standing at the corner. Satan will come as a tarot card reader. Hey, maybe, maybe the answers are in there. And before you know it, we've denied God. See, Satan knows where our weaknesses are. In the second temptation, Satan brings Jesus up. So in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew records this as up to a high mountain. Luke doesn't get as specific. Uh, Matthew also has this as the third temptation. Luke puts it as the second. We don't know why they switched it. Some scholars think, oh, maybe Luke really wanted to end uh, in Jerusalem. We don't know. Either way, Satan's back. Satan's back for round two. Satan is not deterred. 
Now this time, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, visibly. He can see it. All the kingdoms of the world and says, I will give you all the power and authority over them. That's a generous offer, right? That sounds really good. That sounds like a great deal. Again, Satan comes like a friend. But there's a catch. There's a catch. Jesus would have to bow down and worship him. See, Satan comes with the things that we want, the things that we covet. Satan comes when we're weak, and Satan will come glittering with gold and jewels and all our hopes and dreams and everything that we've ever wanted in life and felt that God had not given us, Satan is going to show up with those things, with those things. And this can come in like a physical form. Let's say we've been working hard in our career, but we, we always miss that promotion and all of a sudden it's, it's offered to us but we got to do something shady. We got to do something that God would not like. We got to do something that might harm someone else that's working with us. It can come in a form of an ideology. It can come in something abstract. See, Satan's very tricky. It can be, hey, I'm sleeping with this guy and I know he's married. I know I'm not supposed to. And Satan will slide right in saying, but you're in love but you're in love. It sounds like Satan has the best for us. It sounds like he's giving us what we want. See, we want what we want. And sometimes it's not until later that we realize the catch. We realize what we've exchanged and we're no longer bowing down to Jesus. We're bowing down to something else. See, this temptation is hard to recognize. This one's hard because it goes against what everything in this world tells us to do, what everything in the visible world tells us to do, which is what? Pursue your own happiness. Get your own. Do what's best for you. You do you. If that's what you want, you do you. That's the message that we get. So then when we hear that, hey, there's a catch, see, we don't want to think about that. We don't want to think about that. Satan comes with what we want. Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians that Satan will disguise himself as an angel of light. An angel of light. And if we're not on guard, we're going to slip. If we're not on guard, that, those lies are going to, we're going to think that's truth. Satan comes when we're weak. Satan comes with what we want. Satan comes to break our relationship with God. The third temptation, according to Luke, the third one. This one is possibly the most scary to me, the most scary. Satan brings Jesus, it says, to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. So some high point, we don't know where, brings him to the pinnacle of the temple and essentially suggests that Jesus commits suicide. He tells Jesus, hey, throw yourself down because it says... And this, this, this kills me. It says that the angels, God will send the angels to come and protect you. Satan has the audacity, the audacity 
to quote God's word in order to deceive God's people. And you can look it up. It comes from Psalm 91. He quotes it flawlessly. He's not even paraphrasing like a lot of us do. He knows God's word. He knows the scriptures. Satan is a liar. And he's going to lie to us about God. He's going to make us doubt if God is good, if nothing good is happening for me. He's going to make you doubt if God really cares for you, if God really loves you, if you don't feel it, if you don't feel it. Satan knows what we're thinking. Well, he doesn't know what we're thinking, but he will see the things that we're going through. And he will come at us with those lies when we're weak, when we're coveting. He's coming to destroy this. The temptation for Jesus Throw yourself down. What is that temptation? So this is the same as driving your car full speed off a cliff and saying, if God loved me, he would stop me. That's not a relationship. That's not a relationship. If any of you have been in an abusive relationship, you would recognize that voice. You know, if you leave me, I'm going to kill myself. It's not a relationship. It's not a relationship. And that's what Satan's tempting Jesus to do. See, the devil is real. The devil is real. And he's, gonna, and he's a liar. He's a liar. He's going to come in disguise. He's going to come saying things that we like to hear. And we're not going to be able to tell the difference. So what hope is there? So I started off with the bad news. Because you got to hear the bad news. Because we don't talk about the bad news, right? Churches love good news. We love victory. We love all the good talk. So we have to know what the bad news is. So the good news is that we do have hope. Our first hope is that we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. So in the beginning of this passage, Luke writes, Jesus has just been baptized. Luke writes that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit when he leaves the Jordan. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, it's the spirit that's leading Jesus into the wilderness. The spirit's guiding Jesus right into the wilderness. See, it's not like Jesus took a wrong turn at the corner store, ended up in the hood with the devil. This is not by accident. This is not by accident. Nothing that we read, nothing that we just saw is away from the knowledge and sovereignty of God. If we're united with Jesus, that means if we have confessed our sins, we claim him as our Savior, as our Lord, if we follow him, if we're believers in him, then the Holy Spirit is in us, and the Holy Spirit is our guide. See, in contrast, being Satan, being called the father of lies, that's how Jesus describes him. Satan, the devil, is the father of lies. He calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of of truth, the spirit of truth. See, the spirit is going to help us. The spirit is going to guide us. Jesus is empowered right now with the spirit, and we as Christians are empowered with the spirit in a way that Adam and Eve never were. See, Adam and Eve did not have the spirit the way that Jesus has, the way that we do. See, we have to recognize Satan is real, but the Spirit is real as well. The Spirit is our advocate. 
He's our counselor. He's our guide. He's our helper. What is he helping us with? The laundry? No. He's helping us against the schemes of the devil. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he prayed that God would give them the spirit of discernment, no, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. This is the spirit's role. He gives us discernment. So when the fog of lies come in from Satan, the spirit will help us see what is true and he will convict us if we stepped off. If we've strayed away, the spirit is gonna tell us that. See, one of the books, one of my favorite books, I read it as an adult. I wasn't a Christian as a kid. The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, one of the best books, The Silver Chair. Don't watch the movies. Uh, just read the books. In um, Silver Chair, there's a story where the kids are trapped underground, so like under the ground, and they're with the queen of the underworld. And she kind of rules down there. And she wants the children to stay. She wants them to stay in her kingdom, obviously. So she puts some incense, this powder, this green powder in a fire. And the fire's roaring, so the powder starts making the smoke. There's a smell in the air. And then she starts strumming a mandolin. And, and she just starts talking in this soothing voice. And she's like, everything you thought before was a dream. There's no such thing as a sun. There's no such thing as Narnia. There's no such thing as a lion. And the lion in, in Narnia is a representation, Aslan is a representation of uh, Christ. So here she is strumming her lies, and the kids are getting sleepy. They're getting tired, and they're like, oh, maybe she's right. Maybe there wasn't a sun after all. Maybe, maybe it was just a dream. Maybe there, aren't there isn't a lion. And they start believing her lies, her deception. And then my favorite character is this guy named Puddleglum. Puddleglum's kind of a pessimistic guy. He's like, wait, something's wrong here. He goes, he has like these big frog feet. He goes and he stomps his feet right on the fire. So he burns himself, flips out, starts screaming. The spell is broken and all the kids are like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? The Holy Spirit is going to wake us up, is going to help us when the lies are coming, when everything smells good and we're tired and we're sleepy, the Holy Spirit is going to be there. So that's our first hope. Our first hope is that our, we have the Holy Spirit. Our second hope is that we have the Holy Scriptures. We have the Holy Scriptures. See, where the Spirit is our guide, the Spirit of truth, the Bible is our weapon. The Bible is our weapon. We're not passive in this war. We're not just sitting here trying to figure out which voice to listen to. See, and Paul wrote to the Ephesians to take up the armor of God against the schemes of the devil, and it includes the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. See, again and again, we see Jesus refute Satan's temptations with what? With Scripture. Even when 
Satan attempts to use scripture himself, even when Satan's like, okay, I see your game. I can quote scripture too. Jesus comes right back with an even clearer command, with an even clearer word. See, Jesus is not going to be played because he knows what God said better than what the devil knows. He knows what God said. See, the way that Jesus responds, it's really interesting because you're going to see, we're going to see later on in Luke's gospel, Jesus has authority over demons. He does not need to converse with Satan right now. He does not need to. He can send Satan away, but Jesus doesn't do that. Anything Jesus does here, everything Jesus does here is absolutely doable for his followers. He does nothing supernatural. He relies on the counsel of the Spirit and his knowledge of God's Word. Paul wrote to Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting. And a lot of times, if we've heard this verse before, we use it for, like, you know, building up the church, right? Correcting people in the church. But do we ever think that the scriptures, the Bible, can be used to correct and rebuke the devil himself when he comes at us with lies. We should know our scriptures so well that it makes the devil shudder. We should know the Bible so well that Satan and his demons would never again have the audacity to have God's word on their lips. We should know way more than them. And I know that's hard. I know that is hard. It's always hard when we talk about the Bible. Because how can we do this? This is a, this is a big book. You know, there, there's 66 books in here, and it's hard to read. It's hard to read. Let's, let's not fool ourselves, okay? Like... John said, I'm the realest person. I'm going to be real with you. I didn't read this whole collection until I was 13 years into the faith. 13 years. And I had to do it for a class. So it was like the threat of failing a class, right? So, so it, 13 years, I had such low knowledge of Scripture such low knowledge, and I wonder all the ways that Satan deceived me, all those years where I didn't know what God said, and something else sounded better to me, so I followed that. 13 years. So a lot of us, we learn the scriptures how. We learn it, I was going to say secondhand, but it's really like fourth, third, fourth hand, because it's the scriptures from the person who wrote it, inspired by God. Then it gets translated into English, right? So there's someone else telling us what that first person said. And then you got a preacher up here <laughs> trying to tell you guys, trying to tell us what we're learning. So what is that? We're like third hand, third hand, fourth hand information when the word is right here. So how, how can we do this? How can we do this? It is hard. So I racked my brain for like weeks and... I just came back with, we just have to do it. <laughs> we just, there's, there's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. And these books teaches us about Christ. It teaches us about the path of salvation. 
It warns us. It's our weapon against the enemy. We have to study it, and I know it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. So I'm not going to expect everyone to go home and read everything right now. See, God also gave us a community. We're here together. We can read it together. We can study it together. So right now, Zion Bible Studies are taking a break. Um, They're going to start up again in the fall, I think mid or end of September. And our Bible studies, we take a book and we do chapter, one chapter a week. One chapter a week, we come together, we talk about that chapter. Next week, we continue on to the next chapter. We do that all the way until we get to the end of the book. And then we start another book. So it was Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I think that's going to start up again. Um, If you feel hungry for the word after this sermon, there's also a class, Who is Jesus?, Uh, That's being taught by David Jimenez. There's three more classes left, and I know David. I've seen his notes. There's so much Bible in there. There's so much scripture in there. So if you need to be fed, that's happening every Thursday. Three more classes. So we have to read this ourselves. We have to read it. We can't keep giving ourselves, we can't keep feeding ourselves like, eating like a slice of bread a day, probably not, maybe like, you know, one meal a week on Sundays. See, the Bible is our weapon against the devil. And we have one more hope, one more. I'm not done. We have the spirit, we have the scriptures, and we have Jesus. We have Jesus, who is our teacher, who is our savior. See, Jesus assures our victory. Jesus defeats Satan and every temptation that Satan throws at him. Every single one. You know, a lot of times, if we've read this before, we think of it as, oh, it's when Satan tempted Jesus. No, it's not. It's when Jesus had victory over the devil. It's when Jesus refutes everything that the devil says, everything the devil comes at against him. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Don't get lost in all the words, all the fancy words that the devil is saying. At the end, the devil slinks slinks his head and he goes away. says, until another opportune time. I'm going to spoil it for you. The next time Satan comes back, Jesus defeats him again. So um, the Apostle John, he wrote to the followers that we have overcome the spirits of the world because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. If we have Christ, we need not fear. If we have the Holy Spirit guiding us, giving us discernment, we need not fear. And if we know our scriptures, if we know the word of God, the devil has no hold on us. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are king. We thank you that you are sovereign, that you have saved us. We thank you that you have called us, that we are united with you. And as long as we have you, Lord, who can come against us? Who shall we fear? Lord, we thank you that you show us how you responded to Satan. We thank you that you have shown us the power of your word to send demons away.
And Lord, we ask that you would help us to help us follow you. Help us to learn about you. Help us to study about you. Give us discipline. Give us understanding. Give us, give us the ability to read. Lord, we love you so much. Help us know you and protect us from the evil one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.